remember like chapter two like kind of read it you read it okay <laughs> and, and i made I, what i did i kind of i don't know if i can show you i put like i got the little tabby things okay yeah 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 and because i highlighted so much stuff and i'm like well i can highlight it all day long i'm just gonna highlight the entire book that's not gonna help yeah <laughs> so i got like little um the little paper tabs just to kind of write like little highlight things that would kind of jog my memory so i can like flip to the page pretty quickly okay. or have an idea of like where i want to go right or little places that i highlighted that i maybe like would want to talk about or even if i have the you know the book in hand later on I'd be like oh it's on like i'm not gonna remember where everything is in the book and what page it's all on and all that <laughs> stuff okay oh so, so that, that was my own homework for the week was to go through and kind of read it and highlight it and, and tab it and give myself some quick notes i guess because I, okay. I was trying to like write down things like questions i might like want to say or things i'd want to bring up but again i'm just like i'd have to i might as well just read the book online <laughs> there's so many good things to point out uh i know that's the problem that's the problem you know when i was reading it's like ah that that's like yeah oh yeah that's another one good one oh wait wait that that oh. sentence was good too oh no the whole paragraph is fucking good <laughs> yeah. it's so hard to pick like one tiny little bit because yeah i've, I've highlighted uh, quite a bit oh. yeah but i i would say you know a, a general summary of uh chapter two because the, just the title alone gives you an idea what what it's talking about you know it's our yeah. co-evolution with dogs you know from wild wolves to willful pets kind of thing and basically you know it's going through a um a historical um look as in you know the the debate and question which some people have and they obsess over is when were dogs domesticated and are dogs wolves you know hey. so i think that was like the you know just just looking at that general first first title page right um and the, the 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 reading of it it's so it's basically you know everybody if you're still wondering dogs are not wolves you know <laughs> um you know uh ancestors sort of branched off at some point and and um dogs are a species of their own um but there, there's this obsession which i don't know i'm 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 a dog lover but i've never really obsessed about it like you know when were dogs domesticated you know it seems like a long long time ago um but based on archaeological finds that you know um that was put in the book that um it's a lot earlier than people thought you know and and basically it's highlighting the i think the, the gist is you know like our love relationship with dogs you know when did we start having them and then when did we also the question of when did we start breeding them selectively um for certain specific um traits that you know uh, the people in those days in their geographical location really wanted out of their dogs as a working dog yeah so that kind of like okay that's the you know the historical thing that came out for me you know yeah i like the history that was put in there to kind of give a little bit of a backstory on mm. how we did um evolve with them 
how early the first paw prints were found and we thought that they were domesticated, you know, 15,000 years ago. It turns out it might have been 30,000 years ago, 130,000 years ago. You know, yeah. they've been around for a long time. I yeah. don't know the earliest time that dogs were brought into the home. That's a whole other factor to, to look at because uh, a lot of times they were, you know, kept as farm dogs out in the field. It's been a while between the dogs being, you know, village dogs to farm dogs to snuggling with you in your bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, even I would say uh, my parents' generation, you know, there are people who still view dogs as working dogs and not as pets. You know, like a guard dog is a guard dog for outside the house. They're supposed to patrol the perimeter and defend the territory kind of thing. They don't really want um, the dog inside the home snuggling with them. They, they don't have that, you know, there's still quite a few people, especially I think in certain parts of Asia that still has a pretty like very defined, like, you know, line between um, with animals and pets and even with pets. I mean, like, I've, I've met some hardcore people who pets uh, should not even be pets. They should just be food <laughs> kind of thing. True, yeah. In some cultures, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what, what this chapter also sort of briefly touched on was about the breeding of dogs. Um, because we were starting to select certain, like, traits that we liked in our working, like, even border collies especially, you know, stuff like that. You know, what we wanted. Um, and again, I think it's sort of highlighted like uh, when we did selective breeding, some things, undesirable stuff kind of happened in the genetics of, of the breeding, the selection of the gene pool, you know? You know, yeah. German Shepherds don't look like German Shepherds anymore. You know, yeah. they have like kind of a hunched back than what they used to have hundreds of years ago. And pugs are supposed to have a longer nose, and they've bred them to have such short nose. And yeah. um, I believe the term is brachiophallic. Yeah. I might be saying that wrong. Yeah, sorry. Um, where it shortens that nasal passageway, and they have more nasal issues than other dogs because that whole function of the nasal cavity has been shortened over the years due to breeding because they wanted it to be a certain aesthetic appeal, but it can actually kind of harm the dog's bodily function in the long run. Yeah, I think I think one of the the genetically like disturbed um, I don't know what do you want to bred dogs is the bulldog, you know they can't even give birth naturally they have to have cesarean, apparently you know and they've been bred in such a way that the folds of the skin and everything, it's really hard for them to have a normal you know a normal dog active life lifestyle. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it, it sort of puts this question mark on um, our human intention of what we're doing. Like, are we, you know, when we, when we try to breed, are we being responsible breeders or ethical breeders? So that's uh, another uh, rabbit hole to go down, you know. It's a big uh, rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I, later on in the book, they actually do talk about, like, um, you know, if you were to intend to buy... Uh, a purebred dog or from a dog breeder what sort of questions you should look out for but that's like further down in the book um yeah. yeah so you know this this chapter really talks about the history of our relationship with dogs and you know oh yeah our, our obsession with dna testing with some people they want to test the genetics of the dogs and stuff you know um 
And there's so, that whole debate of whether mutts are healthier or whether purebreds are healthier. Because mm, I've heard both sides, mm, you know? There's yeah. a whole, that's a rabbit hole as well. Yeah, because, I mean, like, I do I do rescue work. So, I mean, like, for, for as long as I can remember, everyone said uh, mongrels are always, uh, mixed breeds are healthier and hardier. But with, you know, um, observing them, I don't know, past, 10 odd years that I've been, you know, actively involved in rescue work. Um, that's not true. In fact, you know, um, I think it doesn't matter whether you're mixed breed or not. Um, actually, dogs in general, overall, their health today, um, they have a lot of issues. And it sort of boils down to what are you feeding your dog in a very simplified approach? Like, you know, okay, let's look at your lifestyle. You know, right? Yeah. What are you feeding? What's their environment? What are they coming in contact with? You know, what yeah. sort of lifestyle factors are setting off those genetics? Because you can have genetics and they can stay dormant, but until they come in contact with certain foods, certain chemicals, certain toxins, they can flip those switches and then make those uh, genetic things rise up. Yeah. What What I like about this book um, and this chapter is that because you know, they're talking a lot with, um, you know, like the, a functional uh, health approach to to longevity for our dogs. And they do actually talk about certain topics, like in terms of history and politics. So they talk a lot about like mass migration and agriculture through our human evolution, right? Our his history with agriculture and stuff. And then they talk about, they link it up with diet, you know, um, and, and, you know, basically, you know, like here it says diets are cornerstones of disease and conversely health, right. Um, which was actually printed in bold here. So, you know, they, they sort of like, okay, how we eat, you know, we humans, we obsess about our diet and, you know, what's the best diet and lifestyle for us to be healthy, but there is a disconnect somehow when it comes to our dogs and even some, you know, even in, say, the pet health industry for humans, you know, like doctors and all that, physicians, they'll tell you, like, with the human, eat a fresh, try and eat as fresh as you can, eat a variety of food, right? Whereas for the pet food industry, they say, like, here, this bag of kibble is fortified with, you know, the vitamins and minerals or whatever that the dog needs for life. And, it, you know, have that, don't change it. So it, it sort of, you know, um, brings up that, that question mark and the disconnect, like, okay, why, why, why is the human industry telling us to eat fresher? But why is the, the pet food industry telling us to don't eat fresher? In fact, I mean, like I've had, I've had, I've heard of vets actually say like, don't, don't, don't cook your dog food. Don't give your dog anything from your table you know from your kitchen just just take it from our clinic in a nice bag you know yeah well and they always would stress you know you don't want to cause gi upset so they can kind of like startle the pet owner at first to be like well i don't want to cause gi upset i don't want to deal with the ramifications of that so i'll just stick with what works and granted you know processed pet food will keep the dog alive but at what cost down the road and where it makes you think and I think that was one of the turning points for me and, it, and 
that's the hardest part to get across. I think when explaining it to when explaining it to people why fresher food is better than processed food. And when I started to hear rumblings about fresher food, you're just like, well, okay, that's weird, but you're right. You know, we're told processed food is better. You know, don't change anything for our pets. But when you actually take the, take a second and you open that bag of food and you look at these little brown balls, where is the chicken exactly? Where, where is that, uh, Broccoli, exactly. Where is that that corn stalk that's on the front of the packaging? Like, where? How did all this turn into a little brown ball? And we're we're taught that these little brown balls are fine to, to feed them. But when you kind of and that's the disconnect, and it's so hard to kind of like mesh that to explain it to people. And that once you realize that the brown balls really aren't all they're cracked up to be and you're yeah. just like holy moly then that light bulb goes off and then you can kind of get it's like it's okay to add fresh food it's okay you you cannot um go wrong with adding a little bit of you know fresh diet whether it be blueberries or leafy greens or anything like that because yeah it really is a cornerstone of our health any uh what's the quote that comes to mind a step of I know I'm going to totally botch this quote because I've seen it so many times, but it's been a while. Eating fresher is one step in the right direction away from disease. You can, no, cut that out because I totally screwed it up, but <laughs> I forget. Oh, that's going to bug me now. It's totally going to bug me. Eating fresher you're going to find, yeah, you're going to find out and you're going to come back to that one. But yeah, yeah. So, so the thing is with this chapter, um, what what they are doing, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is that they are priming the reader, especially those who've never thought about this this question mark about what's in our animals' pet food. Is it really really healthy? They are actually, you know, educating us on the human history of agriculture and the food industry. You know, yeah. like, and and the correlation of when we started to to grow our own food, the, com the commercial stuff, and like, you know, and about the health benefits of eating fresh. So, so like, you know, they mentioned people like Dr. David Sinclair, you know, and, and um, how food is the information for our cells and tissues all the way down to their molecular structure, you know. So when it's, the more processed it is, the more you're altering the, I would say the nutritional, benefits that the food can give you you know when you consume it right. and they talk about bdnf and i have to rem I, I have to say the first time i heard this i was really fascinated because it you know bdmf is brain derived neurotropic factor and it talks about you know how a pro-inflammatory diet heavy with refined carbohydrates right would decrease the activity of an important gene related to brain health called BDNF, you know, and and this is this is something you know when I when when I read about this, not just Dr. Barry talks about this, but like other a lot of functional um, human um, doctors in the in the pro health in proactive health industry, they talk about BDNF and and how you know your brain, you know, like we could actually improve our 
mental faculties, you know, and and our and our energy just just by tweaking what we're eating, and that's when they sort of introduce the concept of what is carbohydrates, because this mm -hmm. this is a big opening, I think, for for pet parents who have honestly never thought about this thing, you know, they they. <laughs> I mean, like, even for myself, I thought carbohydrates are all the same. I never really thought what, what is, uh, what, refined carbohydrates, you know, uh, there are different types of carbohydrates. And when I started to read that, I was like, oh, shit, you know, uh -huh. you there's so many different types, you know, and what, sugar, what, what, glucose, yeah. there's, there's a difference. Yeah. So, yeah, and the low glycemic vegetables and the higher glycemic vegetables and like slow carbs and fast carbs, which ones kind of fill you up and stick with you, which ones you kind of burn through faster. It's a whole yeah. world. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say they're easing the reader, the pet parent into this um, idea of like, okay, if you agree, you know, if you understand the concept of humans and a fresher food diet, and then we're looking at carbohydrates, you know, and, and things that affect um, our, they call, you know, gene expression or, you know, uh, nutrigenomics, epigenetics kind of thing. Um, then you can sort of filter it down towards like, okay, if you understand these basic concepts, you know, like, how do you think it will affect your animal's diet with what For you sure. are feeding your, your pet, you know? So... You know, it's it's a great. Um, I don't know. I thought that they were, you know, pretty good at explaining it really like slowly, um, baby steps to yeah, it. Yeah, it's very it's very digestible, very easy to understand. Even if you have to maybe reread the paragraph a little bit just to kind of let that sink in, but it is very digestible. Yeah, and they, you know, um, because they were talking about you know the three main categories of carbohydrates, you know, like sugar, starches, and fiber. You know what what sort of affects that you know what what is that and um i always remember this part where you know dogs don't need sugar because they can make their own sugar if you feed right. them protein and there was this big word that, that came out right and it's called gluconeogenesis all right yeah so you know it it's it, you know that that one line sort of like yeah man you know like i wish someone told me that like donkey years ago because i didn't know that <laughs> you know yeah. so that was so that it, was crazy to learn wasn't it that yeah was really crazy so i i you know that's when i slowly you know when i started to to read and and find out more like you know oh, you mean there's good carbs and bad carbs even for dogs you mean it's the same it affects the same with like how they talk about the human health diet, you mean it? it's the same for our companion dogs, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, priming us to, you know, get ready for like, ah, let's go down that rabbit hole soon, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a run through of a nutrition kind of understanding to figure out and understand why why food is so important, what's, what are good foods, what are bad foods, and how the effect they have on the body. And that's important to know, you know, not only for ourselves, but for our pets is too. We just can't assume that, you know, feeding them a cereal-based form is going to be the best thing. We know that eating fast food for us is not the best thing every day, but we do it to our dogs unintentionally without realizing it because, you know, it's how we grew up. It's what we know. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely a little bit of a nutrition uh, education. Yeah. It's it's there's no easy way to go around it. I'm afraid you you have to sort of understand the basic concepts. And they do mention like you know they sort of say like well if once you know how pet food is actually processed and made, especially dry food kibble, uh, you might want to really like question the how healthy it is um, right. for your animal. You know, if you understand these basic concepts that they are setting up for you to understand, you know, like the basic foundation stuff. And I mean, like a very simple thing for, you know, it's like I cannot, it took me a very long time, but I realized I can't take bread, especially like white, whole, like white bread, you know, processed mm -hmm. bread because um, of the refine, the way they make it. And, you know, every single pastry shop, they have to add sugar and in everything, including bread. And the sugar really affects me. And I had um, um, just yesterday, because it was like, you know, it's a long holiday weekend here, because it's uh, today's Hari Raya Puasa, where it's the breaking of the Muslim fast, uh, the fasting month, Ramadan. And it's also Labor Day uh, on the 1st of May over here. So people, you know, it's a public holiday. So it's like, you know, so people are like eating and enjoying. So I thought, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the spirit of the festive season here. So I had some curry, chicken curry, and it was like um, with some bread. And it was white bread. And today, my stomach is so bloated because I haven't had bread in a really long time. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll have that. Oh, that's some leftover bread. Okay, I'll, I'll have some, you know some eggs of mayo with it, you know, and, and I just eat that, you know, as a snack. But today, my stomach, it was so hard and bloated, and it's been a long time since I had that. And and because, like, I'm kind of being more conscious of what I'm eating, and I know what I ate yesterday, so I was like, oh, yeah, I know what triggered it, you know. It's the food that I ate, unfortunately, as much as I, you know, liked uh -huh. it. <laughs> yeah. Cult culturally, you know, with, uh, you know, with your friends. Um, but yeah, it, it actually did something to, to my stomach and today I was like, I was feeling like, oh, you know, like I didn't feel good cause I was so gassy and hot and bloated. And I was just thinking cause of today's call, you know, the carbohydrate stuff, right? Can you imagine our dogs eating kibble and how what they, they must feel like? And we don't, we don't even ask them, like, how are you feeling? Or, you know, people always say, oh, my dog farts so badly. My dog's farts are really smelly. Why, do my, why does my dog fart so much? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm just like, you know, these unconscious questions in the past. Now when I'm reading this book, I'm like, uh -huh. it's food, <laughs> it's the food, it's the carbohydrates, my friends. It's the stuff that they're putting inside, you know? <laughs> So yeah, um, yeah. I think today, regardless of whether you have a purebred or a mixed breed or whatever you want to call a designer breed dog, um, one of the top, uh, I think, issues that most dog owners face and vets will say is skin ear issues. Yes, very popular. Yeah. Very, very popular. And that can be very much food related, environmentally too, but very much food related. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Is there anything else from this chapter that you kind of want to highlight? 
I like the part where they point out that junk foods are bad. I mean, we kind of touched on that, mm. but I like that they highlighted it to uh, say that the ultra processed products are made to be hyper palatable and attractive to the dogs so that they crave it. They unknowingly will not necessarily unknowingly they'll crave food. Just like you have that craving for a bag of potato chips every so often, you know, if you're hungry and there's a bag of potato, you are starving. You've had a long day. You want food. You're going to eat that bag of potato chips because they are delicious. I am a recovering chip (laughs) or crisp, as we call it in the UK, a crisp addict. You know, like seriously, I, that was my Achilles heel, my kryptonite kind of thing. I wasn't so much into sweet desserts or, you know, sugary stuff, but ah, give me a bag of chips. Yeah. When when you're starving, yeah, when you're starving and you just want something, you'll, you'll take it. And I noticed that over the years with the dogs I've had and, you know, seeing people with other dogs or videos of dogs, they will eat anything because it is food that's put in front of them. And those palletizers and the flavor enhancers that are in kibble that a lot of people don't realize are put in there because the actual smell of kibble before those flavorings are added really isn't great. I think it was Steve Brown who talked about it when he was um, at one of the manufacturing facilities for somewhere he... uh, I don't know if it was before he formulated or after he taken his dog down um, with him to the manufacturing plant and pulled like the kibble wasn't done being processed. It was mm. almost done. It was before it had the flavorings added. He took it off the line and handed it to his dog and the dog smelled it. And the dog was like, Mm-mm, cause it was just, you know, dogs will go after whatever. It wasn't until after the flavorings were added um, that Steve realized Oh, this is what is attracting them and make. I said, "What is it? I believe it's in. Um, I don't know if it's in this chapter or if it was in the yeah, first chapter. I, no, I think it's it's in this chapter. I think it's um, palate, yeah, palatizing palatins or whatever you call it. It's but they add in like putrescine and cadaverine, and she um, um, she even said that you don't want to know what it is. The words explain it all, but supposedly, mm. allegedly, there's putrescine and cadaverine that can be added to um some kibbles to enhance the the smell of it and the flavorings of it to make them attracted so the dogs are going to eat whatever's put in front of them and you hear that a lot like oh well my dog loves this food well your dog will love a raw steak as well (laughs) if you give it to them because they're going to choose that too yeah yeah so yeah so you know they sort of highlight the fact that you know dog food is even more processed than any human food on the market for us and it's what they put in the, you know, those those um, additives. Really, it's all chemical stuff to make it taste yummy. I, I call it, you know, like the MSG. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all the fake chemicals. It's just to to wet wet the tongue and to make it, you know, and the salt and everything is to make them eat more. You know. Yeah, it happens in the human food industry. All that that lovely aisle of crackers and chips. Mm. And the candy aisle, you know, there's, if you dig far enough, you can find videos where the manufacturers will say what they put into their food to make it taste so delicious and keep you coming back for more. Same thing happens with pet food. Yeah. So there's a reason why we like the fast food, you know, flavoring (laughs) and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, there is a convenience factor of it, but we have that choice as humans to, um, make the choice whether to go to McDonald's or go to 
you know, the farm market or the grocery store produce section and get things. Our dogs don't always have that option. Uh, I believe it is talked in this chapter as well that they don't have much choice. They're offered mm. what we give them. We are the sole, you know, person giving them their food. Like I said, you know, they're going to eat what's put down in front of them because they are hungry. <laughs> they know they need food. Um, they either want it for breakfast and dinner or, or, or once a day, however many times a day you feed your dog, but they are hungry and they want food, but they don't have a choice and they're going to eat what we give them. So we need to be able to be um, educated enough to know what we can do better to kind of enhance their bodily functions and molecular structures and, and use that good food as information for their cells. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, because since you, you know, you, you mentioned as well, because our dogs have no choice in the matter of how they live as well. And modern day dogs, especially those who are living in urban city environments like I am, we spend most of our time indoors now. You know, like where I live is a, a high rise apartment and I don't even have a balcony. I don't have a backyard, you know, um, we don't, you know, it's like I have to bring, I have to consciously bring my dog downstairs several times a day to give her walks, to mm -hmm. pee on the grass, let her do a toilet business, you know, sniff around. And, and what is scary is that a lot of tiny, tiny dogs, toy dogs, some of them have never even walked on grass nowadays, you know, um, and I have seen it in my estate because a lot of people like to put the doggy shoes on all the time. It's not just for extreme weather conditions, like say in, in North America where you might have, you know, snow or hot summer, you know, or the terrain is rough where you want to have an extra protection for the animal you know, because of the extreme weather conditions. But in Singapore, where it's basically a tropical, we're, we're you know, like one degree north of the equator, really, you know. Oh, wow, yeah. So we, we basically live in a hot, humid climate. I think it's the closest I, I would say is like Florida kind of weather, maybe. Yeah. You know? and, and I have seen especially toy dogs, because they're so small, they can be accessorized with costumes and I'm not saying it's anything bad it's your choice and it could be fun right and I think they can be cute but some of these dog owners are so germaphobic because they believe in you know we talked about it last week as well like you know people like it very very super clean you know um, they put the shoes on the dog so the dog is always wearing shoes and yeah, they don't and like getting the dog. exposed yeah yeah and and the dog doesn't and some dog owners don't even like walk their dogs. I mean, like I have a resident who actually hand carries his dog all the time. Wow. Yeah. Like very seldom is the dog actually put on the floor, you know, and it's a tiny dog and this dog has a lot of skin issues and we've tried to, you know, help him and say like, you know, um, maybe you can try and freshen up the food a bit. You know, because yeah. he was feeding a lot of prescription diet and medication and he was complaining that whatever the vet, he's spending so much money at the vet, but nothing is helping the dog. So we <laughs> said like, well, maybe you want to try some steam fish like salmon or, you know, you know, something just, just a little bit different. And when he made that tweet, he actually gave us feedback that, oh, the dog skin is improving. And guess what? The dog used to have was infamously known as a very reactive barky dog. Like every time you see the dog is forever barking and wah, 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 you know, tiny dogs with that loud barking <laughs> thing that's really annoying. And every time she saw my dog, 
always like even across the traffic light. Wah, 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 wah. So once we tweak the diet just a little bit, right, with some fresher food, and we did say some like mackerel or salmon for the omega three kind of thing. Um, he actually said the skin inflammation was less red, less itchy, and the dog was less barky. Nice. Less grumpy. Yes. Makes you know? such a difference. And it, and you you can't even, you could explain it all day long, but until you actually see the improvement and the owner sees the improvement, they're like, oh, okay. Because if he was just getting kind of like Band-Aids to cover up some of the symptoms the dog was having, you know, mm. it's only going to last for so long and that dog is still going to be grumpy if she's not feeling 100%. So yeah, changing the diet and reducing yeah. the inflammation you feel a little less grumpy too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, 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 I have eczema. I live with eczema, so it's like it's triggered by you know all sorts of things, stress, what being one of them, you know, environmental stuff sometimes. So it's like I know the feeling when it's so inflamed because I've scratched until the whole thing is raw, you know. So I, I can imagine how the poor dog is because it's been like that for years. Yeah, for years. And, and you have such a have a quick um kind of turnaround and changing the diet and adding something fresh yeah there's a mm. lot of people a lot of stories i hear about people who just kind of might do one tiny little thing and that's all it takes it's just one tiny little thing and you kind of see an improvement and then that that switch will click for them and they're like oh there might be something to this but like yeah there is yeah <laughs> you just want to help your dog live the best that they can and that's what i love about this book is it is giving all these tips and tiny little tricks that are like i said easily digestible to understand it you don't have to do everything at one time, just one little bit here or there to understand what kind of um, what kind of issue you might be dealing with. Or even if you're not, it's good to have understanding, you know, talking about like learning about the BDNF and how stress and exercise can help. Learning mm. that food is information for your body, learning that junk food is not the best to have every single yeah. day. And you yeah, know, and, and yeah, and you know, like environmental toxins, even Wi-Fi, 5G you know, Wi-Fi routers, you know, um, I, I think a lot of people, especially in Asia, the take up for 5G mobile phones is extremely high. I haven't upgraded my, my iPhone. My iPhone is like iPhone 7, you know, still, <laughs> you know, it's a really old clunky little thing that is still surviving, you know. Um, but, you know, if you're into what's modern technology, as they call it, like, you know, keeping up the Joneses, 5G phones in this, in Asia, is actually a big thing. It's like pretty common now, I think. They're pushing for it really, really hard. Um, I haven't upgraded anything in my home for 5G router yet. And mine is still like, you know, the two, three, and uh, what do they call it, four, you know? Yeah. but what I hear, you know, about 5G Wi-Fi routers and how it's like very disruptive, even for like animals who are so sensitive, they don't even want to be near it. It kind of scares me because it's like I live in a small apartment, I think um, 72 square feet. I'm, I'm really bad with, with, my, with my numbers uh, when it comes to metrics or whatever it's called. But it's a very tiny apartment, right? And basically, my Wi-Fi is on the whole time because I work at night and my, my, my flatmate works during the day. And it's kind of like we just leave it on, you know, and we don't really think much about it. Plus, it's such a small place. It's, we're literally living in a little tiny box. And, you know, <laughs> with 12 cats and one dog, it's, you know, it's kind of cozy, right? But when you read about, you know, how electronics and technology can also disrupt 
your epigenetics, your your, your body health wise, you know, it um even for me, I'm still trying to grapple like what what can I do, you know, what like really a new habit switch off the Wi-Fi, you know, which is like that that but, that something is different for me. Yeah, I and even think say. about that too, because it's going to be different for someone like you in a high-rise apartment, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of cities and plenty of people who live in downtown high-rise apartments, or even just apartment complexes. You know, even if you turn off your Wi-Fi, is your Maybe. neighbor turning off the Wi-Fi? Yeah. Is the person above you turning it off? Is the person yeah. because you know that those you know those waves can reach quite a bit. You know, we have Wi-Fi yeah. on the other side of the house, and it can reach my bedroom. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But so. It's, it's going to yeah. be different for everywhere, but yeah, especially with like, you know, the 5G, I've, I've, I've seen people talk about how harsher that can be. I haven't mm. seen any personal effects myself. I don't have 5G yet, <laughs> but mm. uh, um, mm. I've, I've heard people talk about how it can be a little bit more um, harmful to our bodies mm. and uh, how, how is that affecting our dogs? So they even say you should turn off your Wi-Fi at night for yourself yeah. as well. You know, and, yeah. and Dr. Beck and Ronnie say that we should turn it off for our, our dogs and our pets because it can it can affect them as well. But yeah, living in a high rise is going to be different than someone who might have yeah. internet living on a farm. It's it's, it's I, I like that we can have those comparisons, you know, yeah. being in, in how we live in, in different worlds. But um, it's good to think about how other people live in situations and, and doing what you can for your dog. But yeah, mm. I, I didn't think about that before with the whole Wi-Fi thing is like, how do people deal with that when you live in a, you know, a uh, closer living capacity in apartments and yeah. high rises? Definitely yeah. more difficult in that sense. And, and I tell you, like every cat, I mean, like my cats like to snuggle and sleep on the damn router itself because, you know, it's warm, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the TV, the TV thing, and they just go snuggle and they will sleep there. And I'm like, <gasps> you know, and I'm like, ah, am I giving right radioactive? <laughs> you know, you know, like, oh no, I'm doing something which I shouldn't be doing, you know. Um, so I think honestly, and this is something I do think about, but I haven't actively like tried to change my lifestyle about my use of technology at home because really, like, my phone picks up like. You know, they say like, oh, you know, you've got Wi-Fi notifications yeah. from all around or like, you know, um, you know, like, oh, do you do you want to join this network? I'm like, no, I don't want to fucking join your network, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, when we live in a high rise, very dense population, um, it's kind of it really is difficult to run away from that Wi-Fi thing, you know. Yeah, I, I would say that um, I haven't actively even tried to switch off my I think because the way my, my TV and, and power switches are all set up is like inside an alcove kind of thing and I would put my hand in and switch off everything. So it's yeah. like, hmm, maybe in future, like if I was to renovate my home, I might want to design a, a, a switch to switch off everything. Because um, there's this guy called Eric Edmeets. He's like a, like a business speaker kind of thing, right? And he actually does WildFit. Um, it's this like uh, health food program and he actually said he actually has one power switch that he designed for his bedroom where he just switches off that switch and all the electronics get switched off in his house in his bedroom oh, good idea you know so i'm like okay that's something like in my future renovation i might actually think about doing that but because my home i've lived here for almost like, i think 20 years now um it's kind of decrepit <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's I, I would say it's a well-lived, it's a well-lived yes. home, <laughs> you know, uh, there, there are some cobwebs here and there. <laughs> Yeah, we all have cobwebs. Don't don't fret. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so so the idea of you know, especially in an urban environment, our our companion dogs are living a very uh, insulated uh, environment nowadays. You know, depending on where you live, and so to be more consciously aware, you know, like what are the little factors that might help to improve and. Um, enrich the dog's environment you know it's important you know so yeah even like you said even in someone in your situation you have to take that time to take them downstairs several times a day you know even if you depending on where you live even if you live in a house you still need to get your dog outside you know Mm -hmm. in the backyard let them touch the earth you don't necessarily have to take them on a walk every single day although that's ideal you know, let them get outside, get that sunshine. Don't keep them cooped up because that's not natural for them at all. Like you were saying, you know, those tiny little dogs that never get to go outside or touch real grass, you know, how is that affecting them in the long run? You know, it's, it's, it's important that we give them those, those choices to be able to experience those natural things they should be experiencing. Yeah. And yeah, so the book, this chapter sort of starts to um, introduce you to the concept of the microbiome as well, you know, mm-hmm. because we were talking about environmental enrichment and the soil and the earth and the ground and the microbiome and gut health. So they, they sort of slowly ease you in on the concept of, you know, what is a microbiome, you know, um, uh, kind of thing. And and that sort of leads into, you know, the next chapter um which we will talk about next week, which is the science of aging. <laughs> Very important. Very important mm-hmm. to understand and how how that rolls into how can we make them live longer, longer and healthier. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. Mm. So what do you think, my friend? Have we kind of covered this chapter more or less, like the highlights that you want to bring out? Do you want to talk about how they're polluted with chemicals or did we already kind of Oh wait a minute, my cat's already hang on, my cat's on my laptop. Are we still recording? <laughs> okay. Stay away. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, I think we're still recording. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry, can you repeat that again? I completely missed you when my cat was Oh, all you're over. fine. Um, yeah. There's one part I have highlighted about the house chemicals where American pets are polluted with higher levels of mm. many of the same synthetic industrial chemicals that researchers have documented in people um, where they did the samples of blood from 28 dogs and 37 cats. Mm. And dogs and cats were contaminated with 48 of 70 industrial chemicals tested. Yes, yes, yes. Again, um, yeah. The these these big words started to come up. Uh, so you know they talk about you know uh, the chemicals in our homes, like on our furniture, our fire retardants and stuff. Um, how our animals are absorbing these stuff a lot higher than us, you know simply because they're smaller mass cats and dogs, cats especially, because they like to sleep on the furniture and stuff. So the food that they eat with glyphosate, 
those um, chemicals in the agriculture business that they sort of like kill all the bugs kind of thing. And, you know, um, our dogs, it's in the urine. That was, that was something that really like, ah, okay. Um, mm -hmm. It's showing up all these chemicals, toxins are coming up in their urine. So can you imagine, what about us? Oh, for sure. Yeah. What are we coming into contact with? You know, think about it for us as well. When, you know, and having a, a dog or a cat that's in a, in a sm much smaller body, you know, yes. with their food being stored in plastic bins, you know, coming in contact with heavy metals, fire retardants that are sprayed on couches and furniture. I know one tip that Karen Becker has talked about is if you do have a couch or furniture, things that are sprayed with fire retardant is get like an organic cotton sheet and throw that over your couch. That's one easy tip. If you can find an organic dog bed, you know, go for it. But those um, may not be feasible for everyone to find, you know, rather quickly. Mm. They are out there. They do exist. But one thing you can do is even if you, the dog bed you have or the couch you have, just take an organic cotton sheet and throw it over there and kind of limit that contact of the skin and the hair coming in contact with the fire retardant sprayed on some of those things. Because that has an effect too. And that's something I never thought about before, you know. I have never thought about it. I'll be honest, and it kind of horrifies me because you know how when, you know, when you have a home, we take a lot of these things, fire retardant, um, it's like the norm or it yeah. is, it's considered a good practice that, oh, you've got furniture that's fire retardant or my curtains or my blinds are fire retardant, you know. Um, it has its I, place, but it also you don't want to lay on it all the time either. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it really, you know, hit home to me, the fact that we are, we are unconsciously living in a very toxic home without us actually realizing what these chemicals are causing to our bodies. Yeah. You know, um, and think about it. We can, we can take a shower every day, you know, even if you lay on the couch and, mm. or come into contact with metals and chemicals and, you know, paint or you know gasoline whatever we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis we can go home and take a shower you know our dogs and cats usually get a shower or a bath like once a month every every six weeks or so depending yeah. on how frequently you wash them but they're not getting a shower or a bath every single day to wash off the days you know yeah. contact with fabrics yeah. and chemicals and toxins yeah. so they will absorb that one thing i wanted to point out that the book said was there was a study of samples of blood done from 28 dogs and 37 cats. And mm. it found that dogs and cats were contaminated with 48 of the 70 industrial chemicals tested. So they tested their blood and urine samples and they had 48 chemicals in their system out of the 70 yeah. that they tested. And that's a lot. And we don't realize that it's accumulating in their bodies over time. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, um, I would say this chapter is priming the reader for, you know, slowly opening the curtain and, and really like highlighting these things that, to be honest, I've never actually really seriously thought about. I took a lot of things for granted. And, you know, um, I mean, very simple, like when I bought like years ago, when I bought my new um, blinds in my home, um, I wanted to go with something different where they can print photos images on the blind like a roller cool. blind well on canvas right so i chose some images i thought oh it's so nice but when it came up this the you know the off gassing from the print smell was really really strong and 
And, you know, I didn't think much about it. I just thought, like, oh, I need to air this a lot longer, right? I need to open the windows and air. But now when I'm reading things like this in the book, you know, and I'm like thinking, gosh, can you imagine? At least I get the option of leaving my house, you know, when there's a paint job being done. But if you say you don't um, remove your pets during like a paint job or renovation, simple like that, or, you know, simple installation. So the chemicals are there and you, you, know, you need to air them. Your animals are breathing it in still. Yes. You know? Yeah. And yeah, so for me, it was like a big like, <gasps> you know, like, oh, wow. I got really nice, cool blinds and I look at it. I'm looking at it now, but like, you know, uh, I did not think um, about how it might affect my animals <laughs> yeah. during the initial there's, period. There, yeah, there's tons of little things like that that it's it's not to overwhelm the reader but just mm. to make the reader aware that yeah. everything really is toxic and it's not to be a fear, fearful thing or any mm. fearful induced statements it's that the more we know the better we can do if we know that things are toxic what are the little steps that we can do to kind of get something that's not as toxic you know mm. little tips whether it be you know like i said throwing a bed sheet over something you know being aware of what uh, fragrances and smells you're using in the house, you know, being aware of everything that your you and your pets can come into contact with, and what choices we can make to do little little things better to help ourselves live healthier and help our pets live longer as well, and not have to, uh, like you said, they don't get the choice in a lot of things. So we need to do what we can for them as much as we can, as best as we can. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, reading this book, especially for new time pet parents, uh, if it's like really like first time you're reading this kind of information, you might start to feel a little bit overwhelmed, but just take it slowly, you know, and, and just realize like, okay, um, now you know better. So just start like finding little tweaks that you can to improve within your budget, honestly, you know. So like what you mentioned about, you know, just an organic bed sheet, cotton bed sheet over your furniture. You know, that's not going to cost you a, a total arm and a leg, um, you know. Um, but if you can't afford organic, well, just a cotton bed sheet is yeah, still better yeah. than nothing. And that's mm -hmm. what exactly what I do because I've got animals on my furniture, right? So I just throw, you know, the, the bed spreads or whatever over and then I wash them. You know, mm -hmm. I wash them regularly because, you know, I live in the tropics. So it gets pretty hot and um, lots of animal fur. But yeah, you know, so for it's beneficial for both the humans and the animals. These little, little tweaks that you do, you know, when you're yeah. more conscious. Yeah. And just being aware when you go to the store to buy things, if you're going to bring in, you know, some sort of cleaning agent of any mm -hmm. kind, you know, there's all kinds of natural recipes you can find. A lot of people will clean with vinegar. Um, yeah, there's easy I mixtures you can find. Yeah, recipes online. There's a lot of new companies coming out with, you know, actual non-toxic cleaning ingredients. You know, it's, it's to be more mindful of when you're buying new products to bring in your home, whether it's, like I said, cleaning ingredients, whether it's new carpet, new furniture, being mindful of what's in those and, and, and asking a little bit of questions. You know, I had to be careful when I got new carpet in my bedroom for my birds. I know that new carpet is toxic to birds uh, they have to be removed from the room for about two mm. weeks because mm. i believe it's formaldehyde that's mm. in there so i knew that already but 
if you get new carpet in the home, what is that off-gassing smell doing to your dog or your cat? Right. Who can smell like 10,000 times better? You know, what effect yeah. does that have on them? And you might see zero effect because you've got a super happy, bouncy dog, but it's still off gassing. So it's just little things like that to be a little bit more mindful of that I, I like that the yeah. will point out and give little yeah. um, nuggets of information to be like, oh, okay. So if I know this project is coming up or I want to do this, or next time I go to the grocery store and I need a, you know, a typical bottle of counter cleaner. You know, what can I do to look for something that might be a little less toxic yeah. that I can bring into the home? Yeah. One one group that they mention in the in the chapter is the EWG group, which is the environmental working group. So that's actually they have a website that you can go to and just, you know, talk because they talk about their, their their thing is all about the environment and toxins and chemicals, right? So they give you healthy alternatives as well or you know what to look out for. So if you are starting this journey, that is a one website that you know you you want to start familiarizing yourself with, um, you know, for the long term. But yeah, it's it's you know this chapter when they talk about BPA, uh, you know, all, all these scientific uh, plastics and chemicals, right? It's like wow, I honestly never really thought about these things, you know. Mm-hmm. And when we start reading the book, you realize that oh. PCB, P, uh, P, BPA, oh my god, they, these are actually in a lot of everyday stuff that we yes. take for granted. So, you know, you're doing yourself a favor and your family a favor by, you know, finding out a lot more about these things because there is, um, you know, more and more um, cases where our children, you know, the younger generation, they have, they're getting more sickly for some reason. And a lot of the time is actually linked to all these environmental toxins that we are exposing ourselves to. And then it's passed down, you know, um, even through pregnancy into the child mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think, what do you think? Kind of, kind of, kind of covered today's chapter pretty well, I think. Yeah, I think we touched on a little bit of everything off of every page. Mm, yeah, I mean, like for for the Singapore listeners, they, there's actually a, a mention in in this chapter about um, an experiment study that was done between um, a research group from Switzerland and Singapore. You know, um, in 2019 about testing healthy beagles and stuff. We sort of touched on that very quickly just now. So it's like, yeah, so, you know, for the Singapore listeners, you know, our country is mentioned in here. Um, so you want to find out more, you know, go to page 42 and check it out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this, I, I would say like um, each chapter, if you read one chapter a day kind of thing, it's not so difficult, even if it's once a week, if you're super, super busy. Um it, it won't be too overwhelming. It gives you some time to think about things as well. So, yeah. So, well, I think we've covered enough for today. Um, so I want to thank Shana again for being my, my book buddy because she's, she's far brainier and, and a lot more savvier than I am about all this information because she basically has lived it, written it, and, you know, uh, been part part of this project for like quite a few years now, so you know it's in her blood, subconsciously, and it's all coming out slowly now. 
slowly. Yes. <laughs> but it's all in there. It is all yeah. in there. Wow. I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you, and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.